Hello, Charter folks. Delighted to have you here and delighted to have our guest today. We're very fortunate today to have a chance to talk to Diana Diaz Harrison, who is the founder of the Autism uh, Arizona Autism Charter Schools, which was the recent uh, winner of the Yaz Prize nationally. Diana, let's bring you on uh, right now, and um, just delighted to have you here. Um, welcome to Charter Folk. Congratulations on the Yaz Prize. Congratulations on having made a school that is perceived by so many to be making such a great uh, difference and inspiring a lot in our movement to do even more. There's all sorts of things I'd love to dive into, but just because of your knowledge around autism generally, and just the questions that so many people you know, in our society have about this, I wanted to start uh, focusing on that. I uh, thought that I knew a fair deal about autism myself, but to visit the CDC and see that the incidence of autism identification in 2004 was one in every 55 kids or something thereabouts. I'm sorry, one in like six, uh, 166 kids. And now we see it's, it's, it's at one, one in 50 or one in 54. And some folks are saying it may be even a, a smaller number than that. So we are seeing a, a large increase in the identification. And most people are celebrating this absolutely as, a, as an indicator that we're doing a far greater job of just finding folks that have autism and, and, and being able to respond accordingly. But others are also identifying perhaps we're seeing a higher incidence that autism is actually happening more in society. Can you tell me, how do we parse this information? What's your per personal opinion on these issues given your expertise? Mm -hmm. I definitely think that there's more awareness of autism as a neurodiversity. And as different communities get better access to healthcare and medical diagnoses, as schools become more proficient in their school evaluations in um, identifying autism, um, that has contributed to um, a higher incidence of autism. Um, in particular, for example, here in Arizona, we have a large Hispanic community. And I think uh, eliminating or reducing the stigma associated with autism has helped many kids and families uh, seek uh, diagnosis sooner than later. And that is what we want because early intervention is very important in um, serving children with autism. So I think eliminating the stigma has contributed to um, teasing out uh, autism from other developmental um, conditions and uh, having more awareness has also led to uh, higher rates of diagnosing. Yeah, I was fascinated to see that the delta between autism identification rates in Caucasian students and in black students has basically evaporated over the 20 years that I was previously referencing, although it looks as though black students are identified with autism later than white students are. And when you're talking about um, early intervention being so important, well, we can see how that disparity could have profound uh, consequences. And I oh, still see that, yeah. Tell me, what, what can you just uh, like explain what the consequences are for identifying um, later and, and why we should be so focused on, on uh, getting even better at this? Yeah, so early intervention for kids on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum is all about your learning to learn skills, right? How to attend to a person or a task or acquiring functional communication because a lot of kids on the spectrum um, have communication gaps. That's one of the core symptoms of autism. So they have a lot of catching up to do that doesn't happen through the natural environment. Um, there are specific therapeutic interventions that are evidence-based 
that need to be worked on intensively during the early years. You know, that's pre-five years old. That's, you know, from when as early as, you know, two years old to when a child becomes school age at five years old. Um, so that's why early intervention really makes a difference. You know, as when children are young, their brains are more moldable sure. as well. They're making more uh, neurological connections that can really um, make or break really a, a, a student's successful start in school. Of course, you know, some of our students have never had access to this, um, to early intervention or official diagnoses, but their parents know, you know, they need a specialty program because what they were doing in typical school wasn't working out. And um, we do everything that we can to catch them up in terms of their basic learning to learn skills, you know, shape behavior so that they're able to access learning through a school environment. Um, and that's, that's a huge part of what we do. Yeah, my experience is primarily anecdotal here and having a couple teenagers in the household with a lot of friends, um, several of whom have been identified, but to be able to see the difference between those that were identified earlier in their lives versus some of our friends that have been identified just in the last year or two, it's a very different overall profile for that kid's experience in school, that kid's experience growing up. So uh, early identification is obviously very important. Um, and it's something that also relates to how our overall public education world is doing relative to identification and support. I wonder, so we see that the identification rates have increased over time. How would you assess like our K-12 readiness? Are we doing a decent job? Are we getting better at this? Uh, where are the very big problems that still remain? And maybe where do you see opportunities for the charter world to provide some critically needed leadership in terms of improving autism support across the entire K-12 establishment? Mm -hmm. I, I would say I'm super grateful that here in Arizona, we were able to start a charter school um, using best practices that are typically only seen in clinical settings or private schools. Um, you know, schools like mine do exist, but they're forty dollars to $50,000 a year. Um, and that's just not accessible for most families. I, I paid that for a couple of years and, and couldn't keep going in that trajectory. Um, so I learned that in other states like Florida, there was a successful tuition-free autism charter and um, I thought, you know, our state with the high incidence of autism and parents seeking um, solutions that were just not being listened to in typical mainstream district schools, um, you know, it was about time that Arizona had a model that was best practice and tuition free and completely prioritizing um, the, the smaller, more personalized learning environments that are needed by children with autism. So I think we are really blazing the trail to show what school for kids with autism should look like to help the students become as fulfilled, independent, and creative, and you know, uh, community contributors uh, post-secondary. Uh, so I think um, you know most districts do have a SPED program, but these programs, as a mom, I experienced. They were all about what the kid couldn't do and what the school was not going to do. Um, and it was all about, you know, what is free and appropriate, you know, because mm. that's the law to have a free mm -hmm. and appropriate public education. But what's appropriate to an education bureaucrat 
is completely different than what's appropriate for an autism mom. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, there were many directions that I could have gone. Like many parents, you know, I hired advocates, attorneys, and all of this thing. And at the end of the day, I realized that even, even if I win, this program is going to be forced. It's not going mm. to be a program that's done with the intentionality and love that I want for my kids. You know, like a parent paying fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year at the most prestigious, you know, autism private programs. Um, so I researched, you know, what a charter school could look like. You know, what the fund funding formula was, and it, it became very, uh, very feasible. You know, that if if our state approved our our charter, that we could make better use of the funds by having it in a charter model that was driven by parents than by bureaucrats who, was, who were just about telling us what our kids couldn't do and what they were not going to do. So it's, it, it's reminding me, I'm just coming back from a visit with my parents and they, um, they have a group of friends that know that their son is obsessed with charter schools. And so those friends will send articles to them. And so when I got to see um, mom this weekend, she had these articles there. The top article was about um, uh, how well charter schools are doing with foster youth. And it was a story of a particular school and a particular leader. I happen to know that school and leader very well. But I also know the background of that school, which was the entry point was we don't want to do this in the context of a charter. We're going to do it within the broader system and just spinning wheels for eight, 10, I think it was longer than 10 years before this incredible school got started. But once people realized that running at the problem they're most passionate with, about within the charter school context was what they were focused on, wow, are you able to make you know more progress, right? So I see you in a very comparable situation, right? There's a clear problem in the world. There's a clear problem in our education world to, to respond to that broader societal problem. And, and now we need to unleash people to like um, come up with the solutions that are desperately needed, right? Um, it sounds to me as like you, uh, it's very similar to what you, what you had. Tell me a little bit about what, what was it like to become a charter phone? Did you resist it in the beginning? Did you have other ways you wanted to do it or, or did it, it did it was it natural for you to think about it really early in the process um no i mean it wasn't it wasn't my first thought um i was you know basically just a mom needing a better education solution for my kid who you know was highly impacted by autism but i was a little bit spoiled because i did get him into early intervention of the best type early on and you know while i saw you know what how he was in a typical preschool, which was a disaster. Um, you know, just sensory overload, large class size, teacher who had no idea what, what to do with him. Um, you know, he, he had, he was very bouncy, <laughs> more so than typical <laughs> preschoolers. Then, you know, he went into small group and one-on-one -on -one, um, early intervention that was based on applied behavior analysis, which is backed by more than 50 years of research to produce best outcomes for kids like my son with autism. And I thought, bingo, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to, you know, do that un un until he doesn't need as much deliberate support. Um, and so we did, you know, a few years of early intervention. Then when he became school age, they weren't doing that. Even though the mm -hmm. district had an autism program, they said that, you know, all of the therapeutic practices 
were above and beyond, you know, free and appropriate. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's silly. We know this is what works for kids like my son. There's a class full of kids that, you know, learn the same way he does. Um, and so it was, then it all became, it's that horrible feeling of becoming adversary. Like, you know, right. you're, you become that mom that um, is a nag and, you know, not, um, not settling. Um, so, you know, again, I did the drill, hired advocates and attorneys. He got put in a private placement. Um, and that also just wasn't the way I wanted school to go for myself as a mom and for my, my son. Um, so it was actually very refreshing to learn that other states had gone on a path to open charter schools that were um, based on applied behavior analysis and had all of the um, curriculum and instruction, the small groupings, the embedded therapies that were needed. And I, I, put, I pitched it to a lot of seasoned um, educators or clinical people that work with kids with autism, but nobody wanted to touch how litigious special education can be. Um, and so after a lot of um, going around and, you know, closed doors, I decided, well, you know, if I really care about this, which I do, I'm going to have to form a team myself. And, mm -hmm. and I did. That is the charter folk story. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's also, it's something that I think it's frustrating for our world to have to remember. Um, but when we're sometimes accosted in the in the in the supermarket, you know, you're a charter school supporter, and I hear all this stuff, right? When you're able to go back and say what the problem was, and you know, your willingness to try to make it work in so many other different ways, and it not working, and then coming to this way, and it's in fact working, is a really great entry point for a a re you know a, a redefined discussion with whomever it is that you're talking about, um, and it seems to be. And it seems to me like coming to see your school is probably a very important thing too. I know, you know, when the governor of Arizona comes um, and, and many others come, but for those that haven't been able to make a personal visit to your school, and by the way, I'm coming to Arizona shortly and your school is absolutely the top of the list. I can't wait to get there, but just acquaint our, our, our listeners, our viewers with what, how would you, how would you give the backstage path? to how um, Arizona autism really works, given that some of our folks are really educators and really understand how a lot of these kinds of programs are put together. Yeah, so I think the tricky thing with autism is that it is a spectrum, right? There are right. some folks who have very intensive behavioral and communication challenges. And, um, and then there are kids who are on the autism spectrum who are highly verbal and have you know scattered skills. They might be uh, very gifted in math, for example, but still struggle with language and communication and understanding social nuances, which become very important in middle and high school. So because we serve the whole spectrum, the way we group kids by abilities and needs helps us be successful. Um, you know, we have programs for very intensive needs, for high functioning students and have special programs for students falling somewhere in between. And we can only do that because our whole school serves kids with autism. In a typical district school, for example, you might have, you know, five kids on the spectrum. One of them is a high functioning math genius. Another one 
is, you know, still needing toilet training and is very impacted, but they may be placed in the same autism classroom. You know, it's almost not fair, you know. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very, um, it's very feasible for us to group students by abilities and needs um, and staff accordingly. Um, you know, students that have a lot of needs, you'll see a two to one or even a one on one ratio because you're working on communication and functional skills. Um, for our classes of kids who are higher functioning, it might look more like a typical classroom, but you really won't see more than 12 to 13 kids, a lead teacher, and two behavior support staff. In some cases, you might see therapists pushing in as well. Um, and then every kid has a personalized learning program because there are a range of strengths and challenges that need to be worked on very deliberately with kids with autism. So in addition to obviously tracking how they're doing in language arts, math, science, we're also tracking their behavior, social skills, and their ability to navigate a group environment, which is a little harder for our kids. Um, sure. And so that all needs to be taught very deliberately. So that's a great backstage pass to the program. I would love to go further into this. Um, just being an old teacher myself, and, and um, the only pushback I ever got from my parents was my father saying to me, I hear the charter schools you know, don't serve special ed kids. And, and I was just assuring him, are you kidding me, dad? No, every kid and every problem we think that we can run at you know, with greater effectiveness. Uh, so I'd love to dive further into the details, but I've got to uh, re recognize we only have so much time with you and there's so many other backstage passes you can acquaint our listeners with. Tell me, give me the backstage pass for the Yaz Prize. I mean, congratulations again, all the applicants across the entire country uh, and Arizona Autism is, is supported. Can you tell us, I mean, what was the most exciting moment and, um, and what has the experience been generally to have been um, recognized like this? Oh, it's been amazing and I'm so grateful that um, I really love that the YAS Prize and other, other private funders as well are starting to recognize that there are various paths to success. Um, you know, while some students may go to college, other students may be entrepreneurial, you know, we could equip them with the ability to start a business, which is better suited to their personality and traits. And then other kids um, that we serve might be in a facilitated working environment because that's the support they need to be productive. And so just because a child is highly impacted or you know has different social uh, skills doesn't mean that they shouldn't be invested in. And so I was so grateful to be able to tell the stories of how our, our kids uh, go from you know feeling defeated and the parents as well um, because the whole education previous to us was all about their challenges and what they couldn't do. Whereas right. here, we build up from their strengths and help them, you know, catch up on all those gap skills to be uh, feel like fulfilled, productive students. That leads to fulfilled, productive citizens. Um, we really, even though autism does have real challenges, we like to think of it as a neurodiversity. You know, over mm -hmm. time, there were likely a lot of people with autism, um, but they were just seen as or, you know, 
in, if you think about it in a scary way, they were in institutions if they had a lot of money. Right. Um, nevertheless, um, it is a an out-of-the-box way of learning and seeing the world that if funneled appropriately can help us solve a lot of challenges. Um, and I think our kids can be amazing contributors. At our school, we also have adopted the WASED curriculum for the STEAM learning project. And our kids, once you know, they have those learning to the learn skills and are engaged in hands-on uh, projects with very interesting um, text materials, they thrive. And, and sometimes they surprise their teachers because they come up with things that a typical brain would have a hard time doing. Um, so I think when you see the kids as neurodiverse, even gifted, and sure. um, change the narrative about how they feel about themselves, how their family sees them, how the community sees them, um, then it's a whole different uh, ball game in terms of the possibilities. So then uh, tell me about next chapters. So we have this exciting prize and uh, I've heard a little bit, but I don't know too much about your vision for the future, how you might uh, use these new resources to catalyze even more impact in Arizona and across the country. Tell me what you're thinking about for, for next chapters for Arizona Autism. Yes, so we do have a few more campuses planned for Arizona, our home state. Um, and part of the YAP Prize is going to help us launch the National Accelerator of Autism Charter Schools because we believe this should be a choice no matter where you live or what state you're in. Um, parents shouldn't be subjected to, you know, just mediocre to low performing programs because that's the only choice at their district or, you know, paying 50 to 60 to more, you know, thousand a year to go to private school, not sustainable for a lot of families or most families. Um, so having a school choice charter solution that is focused on best practices for autism um, is, is in demand. Um, we have students move from out of state to access our school. Last count, we had students from more than 30 states that had re relocated um, to be able to attend our school. We've had parents um, accept jobs or decline jobs based on whether their child could attend our school. Um, and we really feel that families shouldn't have to uproot and move you know, to get a high quality specialty program for their children. In many cases, families have more than one child on the spectrum. We have families of three and four, and your kids are, are at different levels of the spectrum. And we're grateful and blessed that we can serve them all. So um, this is something that um, the charter school movement can help us fast track and make available so that no family gets left behind just having to accept subpar programming for their kids. So I would imagine you're being somewhat selective about what states you want to go to first. And it seems as though this, this effort its success will hinge on whether or not the advocacy conditions permit it to happen. Uh, and I'm sure there are many states where the existing status quo wouldn't make it work. Um, have you already been able to identify your, uh, your subset of states that you would be prioritized uh, for, for building the National Accelerator of, of Autism Charter Schools? Yes. So um, Arizona and Florida have done this 
disability because the funding formula for um, autism is it's pretty favorable. Um, but we have had um, um, partners in other states who are working with you know less funding and um, adding funding through Medicaid billing for schools to make it work. So of course you know we're going to go uh, into charter friendly states first. You know we've identified Nevada and Texas. Um, you know we we know what it takes to um, educate these kids successfully. So there could be a number of funding streams from you know federal IDEA using title funds strategically, um, using um, you know interns uh, from universities to help elevate the staffing ratios. I mean we parents will do whatever it takes. And then, you know, slowly but surely work on getting the funding formula where it needs to be by serving as a proof point for what's possible when the right funding is in place. And also by oh, when we have longer term data showing that our kids can be more um, self-sufficient when they've been through our educational program and they won't have to rely on the state um, for their entire adult life. Um, they could also be contributing members of society. So yes, we will definitely go after um, states that are more favorable funding-wise, but we, we're not gonna give up there because students with autism, families of kids with autism are everywhere, and it, it would be amazing for families to have this option no matter where they live. A lot of the advocacy challenge would pertain to any kind of school. What is the funding mechanism for autism and, uh, and special needs kids generally? Then we have the, the uniqueness of charter schools. What would be your message be? What would your message be to the charter school advocates? X state, just Greenfield. We we, we don't know the all of the rules yet. What are the things that the advocates should be thinking about to make sure that um, organizations like yours can thrive there? Obviously, um, getting a, a generally favorable environment such that charters can get approved and we have a facility to be able to operate the program in, something that all charter schools have to look at. But then there are the specifics around funding mechanisms. And it sounds to me as though um, in Arizona and in Florida, there are funding mechanisms specific to children identified with autism that seems to be a key and key enabler um, and i know that there are many other states that don't have such funding specific to autism or or anything like that but where there's just like general funding that's available and somehow or another you're supposed to make it work with whoever you know the kids are that show up at your front door tell me what's the right way for our advocates from a charter school perspective to be thinking about this so that we can make sure schools like yours can grow in many other states I think there's a, a case to be made for special population schools for sure, because when you know we are serving, for example, in our case, um, most of our population is on the autism spectrum. The economies of scale that can happen and the groupings that are specific to children's abilities and needs um, are more successful and therefore more cost-effective. So you know, while some of our detractors may say oh, you know, students on the spectrum would be better off in a typical mainstream environment. Isn't that what you want? Um, most parents like me have tried that. And, you know, our kids, even though they may be in the class of 25 typical kids, they're more isolated than ever, and in some cases, even unsafe. Um, so having these smaller specialty environments um, 
is more successful, more cost effective, you know, in terms of what it costs the state for a person with autism across the lifespan. You know, doing this investment during K-12 can be key to uh, less reliance on the state in the future. I think that's definitely getting more of our kids on the spectrum in the workforce is part of, a, uh, of the biggest driver for us. Um, you know, again, whether it's independent employment, uh, facilitated employment, no matter what it is, um, we are all working towards having our kids not be relying on state services for the rest of their life. Um, and I think that that cost analysis, investment and cost analysis um, should be a driver for making a case uh, for specialty charters like ours that are going to prioritize best practices for a very high population. I'm not going to get in the middle of this of the disagreement uh, or the discussion that's ongoing about whether full inclusion is the right way or whether or not specialty schools are the right way. Uh, what I love is charter folk passionate about uh, their their issues, being able to pursue their view, you know, um, with the freedom and the funding necessary to get it done. Um, and Absolutely. it seems to me the day it's parents' choice. You know, totally. parents should be able to pick if they really want to make it work in a mainstream environment. Go for it. If that That's has right. not yeah. worked for you, you know, then then most parents seek out a private option, but then they realize they can't afford it. So that right. where we come in. You know, to be that uh, smaller specialty option that is accessible because it's tuition free. And so it seems to me as though one of the problems that we have is that we simply don't identify kids early enough and provide the resources to the parents, regardless of where they choose to enroll their kids. And if we would get that done, well, then it would enable both those parents that want to see their kids serve within a full inclusion environment, provide the resources to properly test whether it's the right place. And also, if they'd like to have their kids enrolled in a place like autism, uh, Arizona Autism, they would be able to have that choice as well. Uh, and we advocates, I think we need to be doing a better job of of keeping both front and center for us. Um, we're not going to put our thumbs on the scale either way. We want um, parents that were in the situation that you were in not so long ago with your son to be in a fundamentally better place uh, and for schools to have been freed up to do uh, exciting new things. I'll, I'll end with this last uh, question for you. Uh, because we can get involved in like funding and advocacy and political fights and all that stuff. But in the end, it's just what is the positive difference that we're making in kids' lives? Obviously, you know, as, as a mom, you made a huge difference in the life of, of your own son. But now you've made a difference in the life of so many other, uh, other um, children. And so many different experiences are different. You're, and you're saying that the autism spectrum is very wide. There's no one best thing. But... Is there any general viewpoint, is there any rule of thumb that you would just wish was more understood among the educator world um, about how we can more effectively uh, serve autism kids and, autism, and, and families where autism kids are within it? I think um, just the smaller and personalized learning programs that are, are data-driven for each student and the project-based learning that allows kids to have agency in how they apply their foundational skills in something that is of high interest to them has been truly magical for us. Because um, kids with autism are, are known to have very fixed interests, right? 
Mm. You know, we have kids, for example, that memorize every license plate in the parking lot. <laughs> so, you know, having them learn some foundational skills where they can also, you know, track uh, data on license plates would be, you know, yes, that would make them want to go to school every day because they get to uh, have a project that's based on their interests, but they're also applying some foundational skills that are critical um, for, for navigating um, the school, you know, growing in their academics, and, and at some point applying what they know to um, an employment opportunity or an entrepreneurship opportunity. Um, but I think all of the things that we know are good for kids on the spectrum are the smaller sizes, the embedded behavioral supports that are all positive behavior supports, um, are things that we're starting to notice are beneficial for all kids. You know, a lot of sure. kids now have gaps and learning loss and have traumas of many sorts. And so whereas now, you know, social emotional learning is, is kind of the, the buzz, you know, we've been doing behavioral and social emotional learning all along because sure. it was, uh, it's required, you know, for kids on the autism spectrum to work on behavior um, while you're also working on academic skill acquisition. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the pendulum is swinging for sure, you know, where parents are opting out of big giant programs and doing micro schools. Why? Because their kids get more attention. If they really get to know their peers and a teacher that's serving 10 kids versus a teacher serving 28 kids, um, they, their emotional needs as well as their learning will be tracked better. And um, I think there is a lot of value to that personalized support that really all kids are craving. You know, many of us grew up in big classrooms and, you know, didn't have this available. And, you know, we we tolerated that, right? Perhaps we tolerated not doing projects that were not interesting or, or sure. you know, being in a big group and kind of figuring stuff out on your own. Kids on the spectrum are a little bit, uh, you know, more truthful in that if something is not reaching them or not interesting <laughs> to them, uh, they will tell you <laughs> or they will let you know with their behavior. Um, sure. So I think that that as educators, we should really see that as cues for evolving how we reach students um, and really giving them foundational skills and then agency and how they apply those skills. Um, that's really what works well for us and it's something that we uh, want to replicate um, so that other kids on the spectrum and families can just feel better about what their kids are doing in school. Absolutely. It reminds me of uh, the language we used at, at High Tech High, where we realized that some of the language around special education and other supports for, for kids with unique needs sometimes focuses on deficit. And we forget that that, that IEP, which can often be def deficit associated, individual education plan? Are you kidding me? We want every kid to uh, receive um, an individualized education plan. We want every student to receive special education. 
And there are some leaders, you know, who take advantage of the charter school landscape to help advance an awareness that that's what we want for all kids. Um, and you're helping us do that, Diana. So thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much for the progress that you're making, you know, on behalf of all the kids that you're serving in Arizona. But um, I'll leave a special thank you for just changing the discussion nationally, because I think through your work, we're going to see just a huge number of, of kids more effectively served in the decades to come. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.